Today, we talk to Brandon Rust, the owner of Bokashi Earthworks, that specializes in natural Bokashi fertilizers, biostimulants, biological controls, and microbes. We talk about regenerative agriculture, the benefits of Bokashi, and what is truly sustainable in the global agricultural system. As consumers, we need to start paying attention to how land is managed and change our approach to food and farming systems. That's why it was a pleasure talking to Brandon and learning more about different farming systems. So if you guys are ready, let's start the episode. Hi, Brandon. How's it going? Thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your knowledge with us about regenerative agriculture. So honestly, we're beginners when it comes to this particular subject. Um, but we came across it a few weeks ago when we did some research about food and farming systems. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about Bokashi Earthworks and what regenerative agriculture is and the benefits of it? Sure. Um, so we'll start off with Bokashi Earthworks. I, um, myself and a partner started the company a couple years ago. Um, and we are just basically making amendments for our own personal gardens, for our, our uh, vegetable gardens, and for our herbs at home. And it kind of turned into a regular business where we started to increase our manufacturing. And basically what Bokashi is, it's, um, it's an inoculated wheat bran. You can also use things like rice bran, rice hulls, or any other type of uh, grain. And it's inoculated with a consortium of beneficial probiotic microorganisms that include um, several bacillus species, Rhydops pseudomonas, which is a non-purple sulfur bacteria, and Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is a fermentative uh, fungi. fungi. Um, this consortium works together to uh, cycle nutrients and outcompete pathogens in soil. And so it can help increase uh, soil fertility and the availability of minerals and nutrients in soil systems. Wow, I had no idea. So Bokashi, I mean, it's uh, like I read a bit about it. It's a, like a compost system, like a Japanese. Yeah. That's what it, Bokashi roughly translates to. Um, I believe it is... Uh, I can't, I can't remember the exact translation in Japanese, but it essentially means to uh, compost. Mm -hmm. It's this kind of composting that you can do with this, uh, with Bokashi. It has many different uses. It can be used for bioremediation. It can be used in soil systems to increase nutrient cycling. Um, it can be used in compost to accelerate the process in which compost uh, decomposes and it also makes it so that way uh, compost doesn't need to be aerated. So in typical um, composting, it's pretty labor intensive because you have to make sure that the, co the compost pile does not go anaerobic, which mm -hmm. means it needs lots of oxygen. Um, in Bokashi composting, you're using flocculative anaerobes, which means you're using beneficial microorganisms that both uh, are biologically active in low or no oxygen conditions and can also survive in high oxygen conditions. So when you're using um, the Bokashi as a compost accelerant, uh, it makes it so that way you don't have to um, aerate the compost piles. Okay. 
and can everyone have like a bokashi at home? Yeah, so there's a there's several ways that you can go about using bokashi as a compost. You can use it um, similar to what what I do is I have a five gallon bucket which has a small spout on the bottom um, where I can drain any liquid liquids out. Uh, but essentially what you do is you put any type of food scrap, it doesn't matter if it's citrus, meat, vegetable waste, and then you sprinkle the bokashi on top of it and then you keep the lid on. And you want um you want anaerobic conditions so you don't want any oxygen in your in your bucket. But what'll happen is the microorganisms in the bokashi will start to consume all of the the waste and it will within a matter of you know 40 to 50 days typically if you do it properly all the food scraps will essentially they will break down and they'll turn into biologically available minerals and nutrients that you can use in your garden you can till it into your soil you can mix it into your garden beds and it will add both the biological factor and the nutrients and minerals that the plants are looking for and another benefit um, from the this consortium of microorganisms is the secondary metabolites that they produce so mm -hmm. some of the, uh, some of the byproducts of these organisms are things like the lactic acid, which are weak organic acids that help um, kind of you can think of them as kind of uh, the acids are breaking down things in the soil like lignin um, from uh, organic plant material. They create things like cytophores, which are really strong iron binding. Uh, agents which can help iron become more available some of them are target uh, selective antibodies which help uh, kill off um, pathogens some of them are b vitamins and amino acids and enzymes so there's a whole plethora of different chemical constituents that are being produced by the bacteria and fungi that are beneficial both to the soil fertility and uh, and to the plant Mm, okay, so would you say this is like some sort of regenerative agricultural practice? Yeah, definitely. Using um using bokashi and both the uh, probiotic um, consortium uh, as a microbial inoculant, um, it helps regenerate soil and bioremediate. So in conventional agriculture crops, we use um, fertigation salts and a lot of times um, harmful chemical pesticides. What ends up happening is these salts, they harm the uh, biological systems in the soil. So they can, they can harm the bacteria and the fungi and the yeasts and the acyomycetes. There's all a different, there's a huge plethora of biology that um, increases soil fertility. And when you use crop salts and toxins, it actually kills off the biology. So essentially what is happening is soils become sterile and then they require chemicals for the, for the crops to grow. When you implement things like bokashi and the microbial inoculants, what happens is these, these harmful toxins from the chemical salts and the pesticides, they're actually broken down by these, um, by these organisms. Um, so that's one of the ways that soil and, uh, can be bioremediated with the aid of um, those toxins being able to be broken down. And then also um, you're adding organic matter into the soil. So when, you're, when you have huge populations of 
you know, microbes that um, it increases uh, carbon in soil. It increases the uh, the organic ratio of uh, organic matter in the soil. And then once you start adding, um, once those those that soil builds up soil fertility and health, you have a you'll essentially get a wider diversity of plant species that will be able to colonize that soil, which um, will increase root biomass, which is another source of organic matter into the soil. And getting uh, lots of organic matter into, into soil is regenerative for soil because all of that organic matter is going to create more biology. And that's the main key component in having healthy soil systems. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think I understand a bit more now about regenerative agriculture, but for those um, who listens, um, could you tell a bit about the difference between permaculture and regenerative agriculture? Um, well, permaculture is, is uh, it's, it's a sustainable practice where you're using, um, you're using the inputs that you're cultivating to create more produce essentially um with regenerative agriculture a lot of times you're taking you're taking land or um you're taking a piece of property or a farm that has been farmed on with uh conventional agriculture practices and you're changing it and making it into what you would say you know permaculture where you're able to make it so the land can be self-sufficient where you don't have to add chemical inputs uh, and you're basically building soil biology and a, and a, and a complete soil ecosystem. Um, once you do that, you, once you've regenerated the land and you've made it self-sustainable, then it's you kind of move more into the sustainable agriculture where you're just doing the basic maintenance to make sure that land is viable and stays viable and stays sustainable and uh, constantly reproducing. Okay. Okay. Thank you for those answers. Um, and also I have a question about like, cause I, I you know, I, I've done some um, research about this and I think one of the questions that I've kind of come across is like, can organic feed the world? It's so here's the thing, right? Um, we produce a lot of food. We produce more than enough food conventionally to actually feed the world over. I think the problem is that a lot of the food that we produce go to feed livestock for meat production in unsustainable models. So here in America, for instance, we have uh, cattle farms that are in the middle of the desert, which require Massive amounts of water to be trucked in, massive amounts of food to be trucked in, which requires both the food, the water, and the resources as far as fuel. Um, so, you know, that's not, that's not a sustainable model. Um, also, the food that we produce uh, commercially oftentimes has very low nutritional density or what uh, is often referred to as bricks. So bricks is the measure of nutritional density within the plant. It measures things like the complex carbohydrates, sugars, enzymes. When you produce organic food, the quality 
of the food is better. And what I mean by that is there's actually more food in your food. So the things that are responsible that are going to actually feed your body, the amino acids, the vitamins, the minerals, all of the uh, organic compounds, those are much uh, more readily available in organics and in higher quantities. So you can eat less food and get more if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I was thinking in regards to regenerative agriculture, how can people that lack knowledge in, in this do the same as you? What do you recommend them? Well, education is key. Yeah. Um, it's one of the reasons why I do things like the podcasting. It's one of the things why I um, try to make the information that I've come across and research that I've done myself, I make that readily available. The reason is because a lot of people don't understand how their food is produced. And yeah, if you do, I think that education is the biggest thing. If people understand where their food is coming and how it's produced and why it should be produced a certain way and you know, the health benefits that you get from organic agriculture, um, not just the health benefits to, to people, but the health benefits for, for the planet as a whole. Yeah. It's hard, though. It's hard to get people to really care about how agriculture is because they have to really want to have that drive. And it's kind of internal. Like if you want to be a healthy person and you want to have healthy habits and you want to, you know, have longevity and you want to have energy and you want to have, you know, you want to feel good, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally and spiritually. I think it really, it, it really starts with a, with a good diet and um, understanding, you know, how to obtain the types of food that we need is a huge, huge part of it. Yes, because I was also thinking, uh, in regards to education, some people in certain countries, education doesn't really reach them. If we think of developing countries, would you say that it's easier to educate people in Western countries about regenerative agriculture? Well, interestingly enough, a lot of the agriculture practices that yeah. we're implementing here in the States are actually from other countries, places really? like... Yeah, places like um, like Korea, you know, Korean natural farming is a huge thing. You know, KNF, which is basically using um, inputs from your land. You can grow, you know, things on your property, on your farm that, you, that can be used for biofertilizers, um, doing things like that. And, and, it's, and it's really interesting to see agriculture from other regions of the world be implemented here in, in the United States. Um, a lot of the, a lot of other uh, Asian and European countries actually have the types of agriculture practices that are now becoming more Stand, that are you know growing here in in America. Yeah. Um, I know that in the Netherlands, for instance, you're not allowed to use any type of fungicides, um, and they actually were having huge problems with crop loss due to fungal pathogens. And once they actually stopped using the fungicides, what happened was there was a growth in the beneficial fungus, and that is essentially what they needed. They didn't have the biological 
uh, means to stop the other biologicals that were harmful from um, taking over and uh, affecting their their crops. So once they actually stopped using the chemicals, the problem actually stopped as well because it it was part of having a healthy uh, soil system that was preventing um, these pathogens from taking a foothold. So is regenerative agriculture, is it um, a big thing in the States at the moment or is it growing? It's definitely growing. It's gaining traction. And I think um, a huge part of the reason why it's gaining traction is because as cannabis opens yeah. up and becomes legal in more and more states, because it's such a cash crop and people want to try to maximize their profitability and decrease um, the cost of production, I think that more and more people find that agri uh, that organic agriculture is way less uh, expensive, but it also has so many benefits. And so I think that cannabis agriculture is trans uh, transitioning into mainstream agriculture and some of the you know, larger scale ag is looking at cannabis and saying, look, they have this huge dollar value crop where they're able to produce really high quality with um, the least amount of inputs and the least amount of capital spent. And so when you look at a business model, something that's been really successful and see how can this translate over into conventional agriculture. That's one of the reasons why I uh, gravitated toward the Bokashi, the microbial inoculants, and using things like amino acid fertilizers from plants um, because they're, they're organic, they regenerate, they build up soil microbiomes, and those are the things that are going to change um, as we move forward because we, we, we all know that there's a massive population on this planet, and to be able to continually feed people um, it's going to take a different type of farming method. And um, because I was thinking like in terms of the, it seems to me that it is a Western movement. I, I couldn't find any information from like developing countries in, let's say, other parts of the world, uh, in particular Africa or South America, for example. So for me, that's the impression that that I got when I was trying to find information about regenerative agriculture. Would you say it's a Western movement or is just... Well, I think it's definitely gaining more traction here than it ever has in the past. But yeah. again, a lot of these, a lot of these methodologies, they don't come from America. They come from um, Asian countries like Korea. So I know that there are some, because um, I'm on social media on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that there are people who are practicing these types of agriculture, this type of agriculture. Um, I know that there's some, there, that up in Canada, it's gaining some traction for larger scale. It's just people like myself yes. and, and uh, they have to, we have to push this type of things uh, through education and through letting people know that, hey, there's a better way to do this where we can essentially improve our soils and f improve our, our food quality and decrease the amount of of cost to do so. So that's the huge factor. But not only that, um, one of the things that 
comes along with the Bokashi style is actually uh, green waste recycling. So in conventional agriculture, there's a lot of waste. Um, any parts of the plant that's not used is usually just mulched up and then it's tilled into the soil. However, with regenerative agriculture, um, you don't want to till because you're disturbing the soil microbiome. The, uh, they, there's fungi that create networks in soil that help with the sequestration of water, nutrients, and minerals and helps aid the plant in uptaking those. And if you disturb the soil, you disturb those networks. And it takes time for those networks to build. So instead of tilling in, you know, the things that aren't going to be used, it can be collected and fermented and turned into biological fertilizer, which then can be reapplied um, to the field, uh, to field crops. And what you're doing is through this anaerobic fermentation process, when you're taking all of the green waste, you're breaking down all of that into its main components. So back into the mineral and uh, nutrient sources that that plant contains within its within its uh, uh, material and its cells, and then you're also adding the biological aspect. So all the microorganisms that are associated with the fermentation and breakdown of that organic matter, they're going to sporulate, which means they create what are called endospores. They shrink themselves down, and then when the conditions are right and they're reapplied to the field. Um, the, the crops are going to benefit from the minerals, the nutrients, and the biology associated with it. So it can create kind of a closed loop system where anything that does come out of the soil can be fermented and then put back into the soil. Um, yeah. And with very little um, uh, taken out, because as long as you have the biology and that soil is constantly uh, cycling the nutrients, there's enough energy in that soil and enough. Typically, there's enough availability uh, to continue to keep growing crops. I was also thinking of um, what are the financial benefits for farmers that practice regenerative agriculture? One of the uh, benefits is going to be that you can, they can become independent of large corporations that push the chemical uh, you know, that are part of the chemical industry. Um, I think being able to be self-sufficient, especially if you're a farmer, being able to produce your own nutrient and mineral inputs off of the crops that you grow can greatly decrease um, the, the finances that it takes to grow agriculture crops, which essentially is gonna make it so that the farmer is more profitable and then also he's going to be able to have a higher quality produce and typically that translates to a higher uh, dollar value for the crop. But I was also because regenerative agriculture when we talk is organic food and I'm thinking isn't organic food more expensive for for people? Um, it's it's only more expensive um, because it's like a, it almost like a specialty item, right? If everything in the world was grown the same way and was all organic, they wouldn't need to divide up food into categories. And it wouldn't be, it, it's actually like, I know that in, in the States, right? You're going to pay more for something labeled organic. And it's just really part of, 
a wordplay on the way things are packaged and produced. You know, I think that it's organic produce because it can be produced uh, cheaper. It can be sold cheaper as well. It's just not like that right now because um, there's two different methodologies. You know, there's the conventional salt farming that's done and then they have like smaller agriculture. Usually um, organic agriculture is a lot smaller. Um, and, and I think the reason is because there's a misconception that you don't get as much yield from organics. Um, the problem again is, is education and understanding soil science and soil biology and understanding how to maximize your crop inputs and what you need in your soil to have, you know, the maximum expression from whatever crop you're growing. The price points for organic food and produce will um, decrease as organic agriculture expands, as yeah. it becomes more mainstream. Yeah. And how do we make it more mainstream? Again, it's all about education. It's all about our habits. So um, the consumer ultimately has the choice to um, support you know, farms that are organic, it's really all about the consumer because if there's no market for, for conventionally grown food, then the market will shift. Mm -hmm. If you're a consumer and you're conscious of the way that you spend and the way that you consume, mm -hmm. um, I think that plays a huge role, but there has to be a willingness to, to, to want that as well, because if you just don't pay attention to it and it doesn't, and it's not something that you care about, then this then those types of people aren't going to pay attention one way or the other you know yeah yeah but i think i think more and more people are becoming aware of the situation with agriculture and how land is managed mm -hmm. um we have to be we have to change i mean we are essentially uh main uh com conventional agriculture it kills off soil. And if we run out of soil, the only thing we can do is bioremediate. And it doesn't, and it's not, if, if it's really bad, if it gets to a point where it's super bad, it's going to take a lot longer um, to bioremediate. But it can be done pretty, pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Things are, things are, are changing uh, slowly, but it's progressing. Well, at least it's progressing. That's the most important part. I agree. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a bit about cannabis, which you mentioned before. And it can sometimes be a somewhat sensitive subject, depending on where in the world you are, I guess. But uh, would you say that cannabis is environmentally sustainable? Yeah. Um, any type of agriculture can be environmentally sustainable. It's all about the farmer and the practices that he implores in his cultivation practices. Um, for myself, um, I'm an indoor grower, so it's not the most energy efficient way, but I do use things like LED lighting and I do organic no-till cultivation. I don't use a whole lot of inputs and the inputs that I do use are all organic meals, things like kelp and alfalfa and rock minerals. So it makes it very uh, effective. Um, if you're doing things like some of my friends do out in Northern California, 
they do have regenerative and permaculture farms where they do things like companion planting, they use microbes and compost teas, and then they also grow inputs, things like comfrey and nettle, and which can be used for um, fertilizers to, to cultivate the other things that they're growing. Wow, okay. There's a company mm -hmm. too called Dragonfly Earth Medicine, and they are the only nationally recognized organic certifier uh for cannabis farms and they have a list of you know regenerative practices that if you're you know implementing these they'll give you a certification oh okay um honestly in sweden like cannabis it's forbidden still it's uh, it's illegal um so yeah we don't really we can't really talk openly about it but you know as i'm sure it's in the u.s as well even you know, in states where it's illegal, people still do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, yes. I myself cultivated for about 18 years illegally before I, uh, oh. before I found myself in a legal position as a cultivation director. Um, I think that as more countries accept cannabis, I know Canada, the United States, Mexico's opening up. There are a lot of other places, Jamaica. I think that all the other rest of the countries in the world will kind of get on board. Um, it is a plant and it is medicine, regardless of how you use it. And I think that with all the mistrust created by media and pharmaceutical corporations, I think that natural medicine, herbology, and kind of the old ways of the past are kind of making a reemergence in a lot of people's homes and they're finding a way to kind of implement these types of um, these types of medicines and these types of practices um, just because of everything, everything that's been going on in the world. People I think want to be, I know myself want to be more uh, self-sufficient. So cultivating your own food, you know, keeping chickens, um, doing whatever you can to be less reliant on uh, conventional means of getting food, you know, through large agriculture or through the corporation. I think those are things that we should all be practicing. Yeah. And I've noticed them um, after, you know, the whole pandemic, when it broke out, I've, you know, like I've noticed that a lot more people are starting to grow their own food. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not something that just happens you know, in one night, but still, I feel like people are starting to get this interest in, you know, how do you grow a, you know, your, your own tomatoes or potatoes or whatever. Yeah. And, and having that, that, um, that curiosity, it's all it takes just a, a little spark of interest and you can start off small, everybody, even if you just have a balcony, find something that you know that you'll eat, something that you what do you buy when you go to the grocery store? And then next time, go get some seeds of that and start, you know, using it. I use a lot of tomatoes and onions and corn and beans. And so those are the things that I like to grow. So what would you say, I mean, talking about the global agricultural system, what would you say is truly sustainable? Um, I think that cultivating um, produce where they naturally grow should be a thing instead of 
um, trying to cultivate uh, varieties of plants where they don't naturally grow and trying to, you know, modify things or modify soils or try to use chemicals. I think that's one of the biggest things that we're probably doing wrong in agriculture. I think that having more of a fruit and vegetable based diet is, will help agriculture because again, a lot of the food that we produce in the States uses is used to feed cattle in unsustainable models. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different factors that we can implement to improve agriculture. But I think really what it starts is it, it, it starts with the way that we consume. Yeah. So yeah, convenience is huge, especially in America. People want things right away. They don't want to have to really put in the work. So kind of getting rid of that attitude of convenience over everything, um, I think will drastically help as well. I used to live in the U.S. actually for one year. So I, I'm a bit familiar with how it works. <laughs> yeah. Countries um, that are actually more sustainable as far as their agriculture go- goes. I know Thailand, they have some good, they're doing some good stuff. Don't get me wrong. There's bad agriculture practices as well everywhere. And there's good everywhere. It's just um, trying to, like, again, it's just, I think it's just education what it comes down to. So we have two final questions that we ask all of our guests. Um, so the first one is, the most important thing I can do to help the planet achieve sustainability is? Oh, for me, that's, that's going to be continuing my work with um, the different microbial consortiums, the probiotics, doing the Bokashi stuff, and educating people. That's the most important thing that I think I can personally do because I have a lot of information on the subject and a lot of the research is new and it's just coming out. And so uh, for myself, being someone who can verbalize and understand the science and can also, um, you know, speak about that and give other people an idea of how it works without having it be so technical. Uh, I think that's one of the most important things that I can do right now. And finally, we would also like to ask you, what is a positive message you want to communicate to our listeners? Well, so a good positive message is just to, if you see something in the world that you don't agree with or you don't like, I think the first step in changing that is to look internally. Look at yourself and see what you can do different. See if you're contributing to the problem or if you're, um, if you're helping the issue. Uh, I think that's one of the, the biggest things that we kind of look over. Um, I think it all starts with the individual basis. Uh, the way that you consume, uh, the way that you spend, I think your attitude, I think that all plays a huge role. So if we can all take just a minute to look at ourselves and look at what we do as individuals and how that impacts those around us and society as a whole. I think those are the biggest things that, um, that, that I can do personally and that uh, everybody can do to help create positive change.
What an interesting chat. As regenerative agriculture is something new to us, we have learned so much from this conversation with Brandon. If you want to know more about regenerative agriculture, please make sure to check out Brandon's Instagram account, which is at Bokashi Artworks or at rust.brandon. We hope to see you next week.